we started uh, the last few weeks looking at this the start to Peter's letter, uh, which remember Second Peter is the the last words of this you know fairly well known uh, and loved disciple. So kind of an important thing to just be reading for that sake. Also the word of God. Uh, and as we've looked at the beginning of, of second Peter here, we've, we've seen Peter tell us who he is, uh, that he is a slave of Christ. And so we spent a few weeks looking at what that means, that he is a slave, what it means to be a true servant, not, not some sort of just hired worker, but a, you know, someone whose life and will are bound to their masters. Uh, but he's also, as we started looking last week, he's also an apostle of Jesus Christ sent by him that word apostle remember means to be sent out to be sent out by someone with a message to proclaim so he is an apostle of Jesus Christ proclaiming the good news of Christ to the world Uh, and so last week we started to see who is this apostle and slave writing to who is it who's he writing to here in second Peter and how does that relate uh, to us because remember first Peter was written to elect exiles, and that sort of shaped the rest of the book. Well, now in Second Peter, we're going to see it's not much different. Second uh, Peter is written to a different, uh, well, probably the same group, but with a different focus here. So, so let's read Second Peter. Uh, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. Let's read verses one and two, uh, and then we'll uh, start walking through this last part of this greeting. Uh, or at least the last part we'll get to today. Simeon Peter, a servant or slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that as we walk through this book, that, God, you will bless our time, uh, that, Father, we would see just the glory of your salvation and, and the preciousness of our faith and what makes it so precious. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And this is, this is really the end or, or second half of the sermon that I wasn't able to finish last week. Uh, and the reason we're not going to get on into verse 2 is verse 2 is really going to set the stage on into verse 3 and following where he starts talking about the knowledge of God. So this will, you can, you know, thank your lucky stars, this will be a little bit shorter uh, than normal, uh, which you're like, shorter than normal, that's what other people call normal. Um, so it will it will be more along those lines. What we've seen, though, in, the, in this address, Peter says that the churches that he is writing to are those who have equal faith with his own. Equal faith with the apostle Peter. So Peter, who's just said, hey, I'm an apostle. You need to recognize it. The very fact that you need to pay attention to this letter is because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm sent out by him. And yet he says, your faith is just as precious. Remember, it's the, the, the same preciousness, the, it, it, the same standing. They're equal. Uh, it is just as precious as Peter's faith. Uh, as Peter's faith. Our faith is just as precious, just as amazing, just as glorious as Peter's. But how is it that our faith is like that? Because when you look at our lives, none of us are Peter, right? None of us are the, hopefully think we're the second coming of the apostle Peter. Uh, And so how can you say that my faith, Chris, or Peter, how can you say that my faith 
is, as, is equal to yours in terms of preciousness. Because Peter's got a book in the Bible. He's got a couple of them, plus they talk about his life a lot. He's got the whole start of the book of Acts is about what he did, which is basically just fixing what he did in the Gospels that we read about. Uh, so when you see that, how can you say my faith is just as precious as his? And you got you got, we got to understand, how can we say that? How can Peter say that? Is Peter just being humble? He's just humble Peter, as we all know, a very humble man, Peter. Uh, is it just that Peter has turned over a new leaf in the end of his years and is just showing some humility here? No. He tells us why. Remember we saw last week, how is our faith equal to this? He says, because our faith is obtained to those who have obtained a faith. Remember that word obtained means to, to receive something, to get something that you haven't earned. It comes from the word that means casting lots. You got it by grace. There's a roll of the dice. But you got it. Not because of you. Not because you deserved it. Not because you're out there being holier than anybody else or God looked at you and saw you. You know what? I think that person's probably going to end up making better choices than this other person. So I will save them. All faith is obtained. It's all received. It's all by grace. Undeserved, unmerited grace. As Peter says, I was saved by grace. I was saved by the casting of lots, by sheer as it would be sovereign luck. And so are you. None of us earned it. It's not because we're better than anybody else, because we're holier. It's solely by the grace of God. And so if that's true, then all our faith is equal. And if that's not true, then some of our faith could be more precious. Because if, if, I, if I came to faith after being raised in a godly Christian home, well, that's cool. But if you came to faith after, you know, living a life of not even knowing about the Lord and abject sin, and then your faith could seem greater or, or more amazing, more precious, because you're like a diamond in the rough. But that's not the case. We're all lost. We're all undeserving. It's all unmerited. It's all obtained, received. So we saw that last week. That's part of the reason that uh, our faith is equal is that none of us deserve it. None of us earned it. We've all obtained it. It's all, a, as, as Paul's going to say in Ephesians 2, it's all a gift. It's all a gift. But now we're going to look at the second reason, the one we are going to get into uh, and didn't have time to get into last week. Another reason that our faith is equal to that of the apostles is the source of our faith. He says, we have, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, how? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, our faith is equal to Peter's because of the source of our faith. Now, the source of our faith is not our good. It's not our righteousness. You didn't obtain faith because you were righteous. And so because you're righteous, God gave you faith because you did a right thing and other people do wrong things. You got faith and they don't. All of it comes from Christ. Christ's righteousness, God's righteousness. So what does it mean that we've obtained faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, one quick note, and this is for those of you who are apologetic people, you like good verses that are important theological points. This is a pretty key verse for understanding that Jesus is God. So if you're like keeping record of all the things you're going to tell the Jehovah's Witnesses, here's another one. 
Uh, here's, here's another one of the best. I don't think they'll listen to this one either, but you might as well. It's always good to have it. Make them dodge as many bullets as the Matrix, you know, like the Matrix that they can. Uh, Jesus is indeed God. It says here, you'll notice what it says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior. Now, you look at that, and it could be by the righteousness of our God and sort of of our Savior, Jesus Christ. A couple things. There's a reason you don't see that righteousness of our God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, because in the Greek, it is very clear that this is one and the same person. There's one article, there's one the in this, and then it ties both of these two together. So this is less clear in the English because we're more imprecise in our language. As As anyone who's learned another language and is going, how come our language isn't set up like this? You know, how come this language makes sense and English is like, you can write it however you want to. Uh, and then this is the same thing. So it's, it's very clear here that Peter is saying that Jesus is God, that he is both our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the same person, God and Savior. Again, that's not surprising to us, uh, but it is another verse teaching something that people have distorted since the beginning of Christianity. Because it is, one of the reasons is because people like to twist scripture, as we're going to see things that are hard to understand. They like to twist them to say whatever they want them to say. But another reason is when people try and wrap their minds around things like the Trinity, your mind tends to blow up. Because you know what it is? I want your mind to grasp who God is. And it's like, and if you go, I think I've got it, then it's like, you don't got it. You know, it's, like, it's the same thing like when you try and think about something like eternity. And you're like, I think I understand eternity. There's no way you understand eternity. You th- I mean, you can have a stomachache for 15 minutes and think you've been sick forever, right? We can't grasp eternity at all. And it's the same thing. Wrap your mind around who God is and then even understanding that there is a God and what that means. Now try to understand how that God is. And here, so it's not surprising that people would try and in figuring that out might twist some things uh, and end up saying things that are incorrect. But scripture is clear here. Jesus is God. He's not just another person. He's not just a good man. And it's not surprising that many other false religions, see, all religion, you can't deny Jesus and his impact in history, right? So even Muslims have to bring in Jesus as someone, Buddhists, Hindus. Everyone has to say something about Jesus. I think that's one of the greatest apologetic tools there is out there. Like, there's no Christian that's like, man, we really got to figure out a way to get Muhammad in this thing. Uh, You know? And and even the the Hindus and Buddhists aren't like, well, how can we get one of these thousand Hindu gods in here? Uh, But everyone recognizes we got to do something with Christ. He's got to be somebody. And Scripture comes and says he's not just somebody. This is God coming to save. This is God, the Father, sending the Son who is also fully God in order to save us. This is God doing what he'd promised he'd do all the way back, you know, really from the beginning, but multiple passages in the Old Testament where God says, when your salvation comes, it'll be me coming to save you. Make, make straight the paths because uh, the Lord is coming. Um, and so here's just, just another uh, important verse for the supremacy of Christ in Scripture and in our salvation uh, he's going to say the same thing when he closes the letter. He's going to use the same sort of construction when he's going to say that he is our Lord and Savior. So the Lord, again, not just, a, not just a great guy. He is the Lord. 
Um, but again, I doubt, I doubt any of us are denying that Jesus was truly God. Uh, but this is just another uh, example that we can be encouraged to see that we aren't just making up that idea that it is an apostolic teaching. Uh, part of the apostolic faith is that Jesus is God and man at the same time. Uh, but so you can't lose either one of those here. Uh, he's focusing on, on God, but let's focus on the real intent of the passage, which is, uh, that we obtain faith by the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ. What does it mean that we obtain faith by that righteousness? Well, that's actually a great question because the Greek word, this is where you get a little fuzzy here, uh, cause the Greek word could either be translated that we obtain faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, as as the ESV has translated it, or that we obtain a faith in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we either get our faith by his righteousness or our faith is in Christ's righteousness. So the question is, which one is it? And you know me, what am I going to say? Yes, uh, it is. It is one of those. Uh, and the reality is, it doesn't really matter which one you pick because both are clearly taught in Scripture. Both are clearly, it's not like if someone said by, you'd be like, heretic. Uh, or if someone said, no, I think it's faith in Christ, you'd be like, how dare you twist the Scriptures. Uh, again, this is, a, this is another example of where people go, man, I really don't know what to do with this. Whatever you do with it, whichever way you go with it, is not going to run contrary to Scripture. You're just going to run either into one or the other stream found in the text. So let's, let's look at both of those. Both of those are clearly taught in Scripture, that your faith is in the work of Christ, and your faith comes by the work of Christ. Let's start out by looking at in. Let's, let's, let's look at if our faith is in Christ. In other words, if it were to say that you obtain a faith in the righteousness of Christ, it is saying that you are trusting in what he has done. So your faith is not trusting in your righteousness, in your goodness. So when you go, why am I going to go to heaven? You don't say, because I'm a good person. Your faith isn't resting in what you have done. Your faith is trusting in what Christ has done. You have a faith in him, not in yourself. So how do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? Not because you're trusting in you, you're trusting in him. In fact, Paul described this as the most basic part of the gospel message. One of the most basic parts in Acts chapter 20, verse 20 and 21, he says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of what? What is he preaching in that gospel? Of repentance toward God and of faith, what? In our Lord Jesus Christ. That he says, when I'm preaching the gospel, going house to house, Jew, Gentile, Greek, uh, it doesn't matter, everyone, man, woman, your faith is in the same thing. You need what? What part of it? Repentance toward God, repenting of your sin, saying, God, I have not been living for you. I've been living for myself. And then faith in what? Not faith in, and I'm going to be a better person, but faith in Christ, that I have sinned. And the only hope 
is not that I fix my life. My only hope is that Christ has done what I could not do. Christ paid the penalty that I deserved. He lived the life that I refused to live. My faith is in his work, not mine. He is my to pull all those Old Testament imagery things. He is that sacrificial lamb that I deserve for my life. He is that. Paul says that's part of the basic message of the gospel. Repentance toward God, sin against you, God. My faith is in Christ, in what he has done. So Paul, when he, it's not surprising then when he describes the Christian life, he describes it of one of faith in Christ and of love toward the saints. Uh, if you've read the Gospel of John or 1 John, uh, you know this, this connection of faith and, and love for your brothers and sisters. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, if you, if you don't know Ephesians chapter 1, it is a great chapter telling you about how all of your salvation comes down to what Jesus did, what God has done and what Christ has done. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, you could underline every time you see the word he or his. Uh, because Ephesians chapter 1 is that great sort of describing what Jesus did in saving us. He did this. He did this. In him we have this. He did this. He does this. And then because of all that he's done, all that he has done, in verse 15 it says, for this reason, because all those he's that you just read about that he did in saving us, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. How, how can Paul be assured of their salvation? What hope is he taking in their salvation? He says, I have heard of what? I've heard of your faith in Christ. In this Christ that we talk about, I've heard about your faith and I've seen and I've heard about your love for one another. So your faith, I've seen your faith and I've seen your, I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your fruit. I've heard of your faith in Christ and the fruit of that love for one another. So it's very much our salvation is a faith in what Christ has done, not a faith in what we do. So our justification comes not from what we do, but from faith in what Christ has done. So Galatians chapter two, verse 16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, you've repented. You see, okay, I've got all this sin against me that I've done. What are we going to do with that? How am I going to be justified? That, that word justified means like, how's my, how's my penalty going to be paid for and I'm be made just, righteous? How's that going to happen? You know, the, the very simple answer, not totally wrong, but simple, justified being just as if I never sinned. How are we going to deal with the fact that I have sinned? Well, he says your justification doesn't come from you doing a bunch of good things now. You're not like, okay, I realized how bad I was. And so the scales are down here. And now I'll just fill my life up with good to make up for all the bad that I did in my life. He says, no one is justified by doing works of the law. You could go and do all of the law from this point forward. But you know what that doesn't pay for? All the times you broke the law. So like if you have someone that murders... And they come and say, you know what? I've realized that murdering is wrong. So I promise from now on to be a good citizen. No one goes, wow, that is awesome. 
and I am going to let you do that, and that will that is justice. If a judge did that, if a judge said, hey, we've got this serial killer, he's murdered a, just a lot of people, but that's before he went to Falls Creek. Uh, but now, you know, he promises from this point forward to be great, and he's going to live a good life. And that judge was like, so let him go. No one would say, that's a good judge there. That would be the one time we would know who to vote for in the judge voting, right? That'd be the one time we'd be like, I know not that guy. Uh, I don't know who these other people are. Why don't they, why doesn't my pastor tell me who to vote for? Uh, I don't know. Like, am I voting in the next Stalin or something? I don't know what's going on here. Uh, but that would be someone you go, that's not a just judge. And so God says, look, you are not justified. All the sin that you filled your life with is not going to be paid for by you doing a bunch of good for the rest of your life, which you're not even going to be able to perfectly do. Because he who tries to keep the law must keep what? All of the law. And Jesus makes it even harder when he says, yeah, you think you broke it when you did it. You broke it when you thought of it. And it's like, oh, well, how can I do it, Jesus? And he's like, yeah, exactly. That's why I'm here. Because you can't. You cannot justify yourself by the works of the law. We are justified. What does Galatians say? What's Paul saying in Galatians? We know that a person is justified not by works of the law, but through faith. It's like the apostle Peter talked about faith in what? In Jesus Christ. Because what did Christ do? He kept the whole law. We go, oh, how can we do that? That's what Jesus did. That's one of the things that makes his works so amazing. He did what you could not do and didn't do what you spent a lot of your life doing. He is our justification. He is that spotless lamb that actually does pay for our sins. Because you could sacrifice the rest of your life, right? But the rest of your life is just what? You're a pretty, you're a pretty dirty sheep, right? And no one, you can't bring this broken, lamed up, scarred up sheep to the temple and be like, look at the gift I brought the Lord. It needs, you need a perfect sacrifice. And we can't be a perfect sacrifice. That's why we had to repent. We know we're not the perfect sacrifice. Look, everyone knows that sin is a problem. So the idea that we can bring our broken life and say, is this acceptable to God? No, it's got to be perfect. Well, then what hope do I have? Faith in Christ. Because Christ is the spotless lamb of God. Which is why John the Baptist proclaimed that when he came. He said, look, behold, finally, spotless lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So our faith is not in us. So when it says you've obtained a faith, what sort of faith has God given us? He's given us a faith in Christ, not a faith in ourselves. When God saves us, we don't start thinking, okay, I'm going to be good now and my being good will get me into heaven. We say, look, Christ has saved me and his goodness is the only reason I've got eternal life. Now, will I live a good life? Yes. Why? Because of him. Because of what he's done in my heart. Because of what he's done for me. It will be a fruit that springs from salvation, not something that, that causes salvation. So my faith will be in Christ and what he has done. So if someone says, look, I think it's obtained a faith in the righteousness of Christ. I go, well, that's certainly true because look at all these other passages that say the same thing. But the Bible is also clear on the other side. That this faith in Jesus does not come from us but is born out of God's righteousness, by Christ's righteous work that actually brings us that faith. It 
It is that righteous work of God, of Christ, that secures our faith. Uh, So in other words, that faith is God's work in us. So we, uh, we have obtained a faith by the, the, the right, by the righteousness of our God and Savior. So it is the righteousness of God that has brought us that faith. How did we obtain this faith? How did we get this? By the righteousness of God, by God's work in you, not by your work in you, by, by God's work. It's like how Paul says in describing his own salvation and his own coming to faith. How did, he, how did he go to have this faith in Christ? In Galatians chapter 1, he tells us. In Galatians chapter 1, 15 and the start of 16, it says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, when he was what? Was pleased to reveal his son to me. So you and I can't have faith in Christ without the work of God already in our hearts. So if we can't, we can't have, if it's faith in Christ, but faith in Christ does not come from you. You don't all of a sudden see this vast evidence and go, you know what, I've done the pros and the cons and I think I'm pro-Jesus now. So mark that, I have faith. And then, that here Paul says, he who set me apart from before I was born and called me by his grace. It pleased him to what? Reveal the son to me. That's what God has done. The only reason we have faith in Christ is because God in his grace has, it has pleased him to reveal to us who the son is. Otherwise, we'd never have faith in the son to begin with. We'd keep having faith in us. How many times do you know? I mean, it is not crazy for us to end up thinking foolishly. The Bible says the world is just full of fools. We're one of them. To think in the end that, you know what? I think I still lived a good life. I mean, we know that our lives are full of sin, and yet we can still sometimes think, but I still think I'm a good person. There's nothing in us that makes us go, you're pretty nasty. Look at what you've chosen to do. How in the world do you think you're getting to heaven? There is in us a foolishness that refuses to see that. And if that foolishness is there, if as it says, Satan has blinded our eyes to the gospel. One of the things he blinds us to isn't just who Christ is. He blinds us to the bad news as well as the good news. And so we would never see a reason to have to have faith in Christ because we got faith in us. You see it at funerals all the time where someone will have a funeral and people get up and just say about, man, that was one good person. He was a good man. She was a good woman. And everyone's going, nope. I knew them and I know you knew them. And so now you're a liar too. And I'm going to have to remember that at your funeral. They're a good person, but they sure lied that one time. So how do we go from people who are, who are constantly refusing to believe in our fallenness to all of a sudden, not just believing in our fallenness, but believing in hope in Christ? He says, it's got to be the grace of God. God, by, it is by his righteousness, by his work in us that we even get this faith. And that idea of salvation being part of the righteousness of God is not something new. That's actually a way in the Old Testament that it often described the work of God to save his people was that it was by the righteousness of God that they were 
saved. So look, for example, uh, Psalm 31, 1 and 2. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame in your what? Righteousness, deliver me. Deliver me, save me in your righteousness. Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. The people were saved by the righteousness of their God. In fact, God saving his people by his righteousness is the ending of a, of a famously vexing psalm, Psalm 22, you know, the, the one that begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and Jesus says that on the cross and we're like, what does he mean? He means go read Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 ends with what? In verse 30 and 31, posterity shall serve him, shall serve the Lord. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. In other words, you got, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the rest of Psalm 22 is that he hasn't and he won't. That even as it says in the verses right before this, even those who go down to the dust, who could not keep themselves alive, will in the end praise the Lord. Because even if, even if we are sick and we have cancer and we die, that when we breathe that first, quote unquote, breath of eternal life, None of us go, well, tell me what this whole cancer thing was. None of us do that. Instead, we go, oh, my goodness, you were telling the truth. You were right. My faith was not in vain. My salvation is here. Eternity is before me. So even they will proclaim the goodness of our God. And that righteousness and salvation has always been a work of God, not of Man, that righteousness to save his people has always been about the goodness of God, not the goodness of us. So Isaiah, I wanted to pull some of these from the Old Testament because we're used to seeing it in the New Testament. But even the Old Testament, uh, which is same Testament, uh, Isaiah 48, look at verses 8 and 13. Shower, O heavens, from above. And let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Down in verse 13, I have stirred him up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts this righteousness that we're having faith in this work of god is a work of god it is god who has brought righteousness to us we have obtained a faith by the righteousness of our god and savior jesus christ it is his righteousness that has brought us faith it is his work in us and i love this little homage to christ not just in isaiah 45 but also in in psalm 85 Verses 10 through 13, you get this, this shadow of Christ. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. 
Man, what a picture of what God is doing in Christ. Christ's righteousness is making the way for our salvation. Steadfast love and faithfulness are here. Righteousness and peace are meeting, and they're meeting in one person. And it is the Lord who's going to give what it's good and its land will give increase, which is why when Jesus talks about our salvation, he talks about us as if we are these fields that will either be barren or bear fruit. It is the Lord who gives fruit. It is the Lord who causes it to increase. He says, righteous will go before him and make his footsteps away. And it is the righteousness of Christ that makes the way for our salvation. So we have the hope of faith by the righteousness of Christ, by his work. So our faith is not just in his work. Our faith comes from his work. It is faith or his righteousness that causes faith. Faith does not cause righteousness. In this case, it is the righteousness of Christ that was the needed seedbed for faith in our hearts. Without Christ's work, without Christ's righteousness, we would have no way to come to faith. So without the work of God, faith is not a possibility. And what's crazy is Christ is not only the way, it is what our faith is in. We obtain faith by, not by our righteousness, but by Christ's. It is the righteousness of God that precedes our faith. It is not our faith that God then says, okay, I will make you righteous. Uh, It is his righteousness. We have obtained faith by that righteous work of God. I love the way John Gill puts it. I normally don't put quotes from people, but I like this one, so I put it. Uh, Normally I quote them and just don't tell you. Uh, (laughs) The reason... Why a man has a justifying righteousness is not because he has faith, but the reason why he has faith given him. He's talking about Jacob Peter, obtained a faith. The reason he has faith given him is because he has a justifying righteousness provided for him and imputed to him. We have been given faith, not because of our righteousness, not because God saw that we would choose him or God saw that we were good people. We've been given faith. We have obtained faith because of Christ's righteousness. And is that righteousness imputed to us by grace? Not because we were the best people on the earth, not because we were the prime examples or the ones that would choose better than all the other ones, but solely by his grace. And it is his righteousness imputed to us And it is faith that is then born out of that righteousness. If you want to get the picture that the Old Testament gives, it is God has turned your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And your faith is born out of God doing that. Otherwise, a heart of stone is never going to have faith in Christ. So if a heart of stone can't have faith in Christ, what does God have to do? He's got to turn it into a heart of flesh. And then, of course, a heart of flesh does have faith in Christ. It does rejoice in the things of God. It does, as Paul says, repent toward God and have faith toward Christ. But that only comes by God's work first to turn our heart of stone to a heart of flesh, which is why he gets all the praise, which is why he gets all the glory. There's one text I love in Romans 3 that's going to have both these things just constantly playing together. So if someone says, is it faith in the work of Christ or is it faith by the work of Christ, by the work righteousness of Christ or in the righteousness of Christ? Uh, Romans chapter 3 just has them like interlaced. 
We see faith coming by God's righteousness, by God's work, and we also see faith coming in Christ's work, in Christ's righteousness. So Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, that reconciliation, that, that payment that you deserved or that you couldn't pay, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. So there you can see again, it is, it is in the righteousness of Christ, yet it is God's righteousness that is creating this faith in Christ's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith, what? In Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By, 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 by a law of works? No, by the law of faith. So we see there in, in Romans 3, God's righteousness is saving us. We are saved by his righteousness. It, does, it doesn't come through doing the law. He says, although the law and the prophets do talk about it, it comes through faith, but not faith in us, faith in Christ. This is the very beginning. Righteousness comes by faith in what Christ has done, but we're justified by grace. It is by the grace of God. It is, how do we come to faith? He says, that comes by grace. It is a gift. Faith in the redemption that comes through his blood is a gift. So he is the propitiation. He is the sacrifice that is received by faith. But he says, but this faith is not our work. It is received. And in the end, you see the two together in that God is both just and justifier. God is both just faith in Christ's work. So we're not, we can't, God can't just save us because of our goodness. Because our goodness can't pay for our badness. So God is just by having our salvation paid for in Christ's work. But God is also the justifier. Because we only go to come to faith in Christ's work by the work of God in our hearts. So he becomes both the one who can be just but is also the one who worked in us to make us just. We are not the justifiers. We have not justified ourselves. It is God who in his grace brought that work of Christ in our hearts. So Paul recognizes that this is all about God's work to both give us the foundation of our faith in Christ, that is the foundation of our faith, but also the work of God to give us our faith. So that's why he asks in verse 27 at the very end of that, so what becomes of our boasting? He says it's excluded. I love that word excluded. Literally, it is shut out. It is shut out. The, the idea is the door is closed to any boasting. Boasting wants to come in with our salvation and it's like, nope, can't get in. I love that word picture. You shut the door. The work of God in our hearts. What God has done to save us should shut the door to any boasting on our part. 
It is shut out. There's no way, if we understand our salvation, there is no way that pride gets an invitation to the party. There's no way that boasting sits at the table with us. Which is the same thing that we saw already Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2, right? What did he say in 2, 8, and 9? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is what? It is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. God knows that there is in our hearts an inclination toward pride. If you ever wanted to know how prideful is man, because it's all over Proverbs, right? You read the book of Proverbs, it's like, don't be proud. And you're like, well, is that, that's not a problem for me. It's probably a problem for you then. Do you read all this about, don't you go, how big of a problem can pride be for man? God shows us the degree to which human pride can go. If you, you could go all the way back to the Tower of Babylon, right? If you want to see just how high, pun, uh, our pride can go. There's such an inclination toward pride that we will try and even boast in our salvation. I mean, we use the word salvation, right? But sometimes when we say salvation, we don't actually mean salvation. Because if it were salvation, you can't boast that someone saved you. Like when someone pulls a drowning man out of the water, he's not like, yeah, but I was floating real good. No one does that. Like if you're genuinely saying, like you would think someone was a total jerk or idiot. If like some, if a fireman rescued someone out of the fire and he's like, I'm really, I'm, I'm balancing on his shoulders really well though. Like no one would do that. No one would say, I was close to the window for you. And if someone did, you'd go, what? And that's just earthly salvation. Now imagine how in the world we can be so prideful as to have hearts that are dead, hearts that have lived their entire life for ourselves and not for God, that have denied God, pretended to be things like atheists or really struggling or I had a, you know, a rough life. Or you, you just love sin and hated God. Just admit it. And God will kill that pride and show you, hey, boom, salvation. This is his great work in you. Our pride. Our pride will try and make it about us and what we did. So that God has to multiple times say, look, you've got no boasting in your salvation. When you understand salvation, he has shut the door to any boasting in your heart, any pride. Because it's all your salvation is all the work of God. And if God has saved you, you know what you do when you hear that? You go, yes, yes. And if your heart has any nagging thing that goes, well, but I kill that. Kill it. Shut the door to it. Shut it out. Because there's a tendency in us to make, want us to make salvation at least something about us, right? Something that we did, which in the end gives us something to boast about. Scripture is clear. That when you understand your salvation, pride is dead. Because you're not saved by your work. You're saved by Christ's work. So our faith in the righteousness of Christ and by the righteousness of Christ excludes any boasting on our part. So Peter can say, look, your faith is equal to my faith because your faith, just like Peter's, didn't come from what you've done. Peter's faith didn't come from what he did. It came because Christ said, follow me. And Christ's words in his ears also rang in his heart. And Peter followed him. 
And your faith, just like Peter's, doesn't come from what you've done. But because of what Christ has done in you and for you. That's your faith. That's the faith you've obtained. Faith in what Christ has done in you and faith in what Christ has done for you. So as we go into this letter, as we move into it, and we'll start moving into it next week, as we go into this letter, we must always remember, remember if this is remember what you know, remember where your faith comes from and who your faith is in. That's what Peter is already reminding the people of from the very beginning of his letter to them. So let's have a a few things of meditation and we'll be done. First, from these first two verses, recognize that your faith is an apostolic faith, meaning this, your faith isn't man-made. You didn't come up with this idea of trusting in Jesus. And, you know, the the thing that the world will try and say that this isn't real, this is is not something that, that men have just made up. This is what Christ sent them to proclaim. And so you're trusting in something that Jesus told his apostles to go and tell people to trust in. This is his word that you're trusting and not theirs. And your faith is on the same level as that of the apostles because your faith, just like theirs, comes from what God has done in you, not what you've done. So you have an apostolic faith. The other thing is recognize that your faith doesn't come from you. It's a faith obtained, not earned, not deserved. Faith that comes by the grace of God. And your faith is the same as Peter's because your faith rests in what Christ did and who he was. It's a faith born not from our righteousness, but Christ, a a righteousness that saves us, a righteousness that is the source of our faith, a righteousness that works faith in us. So in the end, when you may not, you, you may not be an apostle, right? But your salvation is just as certain so that you and Peter will stand before Christ on the same terms, just as saved. With the same salvation, because none of it comes from you. And none of it came from Peter. So in the end, as we look at this introduction, what can we remember? It's all grace. It's all God. It's all Jesus. And if we'll remember that, then our hearts will be ready for the rest of what Peter has to say. Let's pray. as we bow our heads just right now just thank god for your salvation if, if you are a believer if you're a christian if god is if god has brought in your heart repentance toward him and you've said god i am so sorry for all the sin that i've done what hope do i have and you've seen that christ is your only hope so you've repented toward god and then put your faith in christ and what in what he has done if that's what's happened then thank god for that thank him for 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 that faith that you have that you've obtained this faith because you didn't deserve it So right now, just worship him. Say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And make sure that in your life, you are resting in what Christ has done, not in in what you've done. Like if you're trying to rest in what you've done or if your faith is in what you've done, that's a failing faith and you know it. it. It creates a struggle to always do and do and you're like why can i never be perfect because you're not you're not supposed to be your perfection is in christ and you may you may be getting better and more righteous and and doing doing better than you used to do but 
but your faith isn't in that. That might be a fruit of what Christ has done in you, but your hope for heaven, for salvation, is not in what you're doing or have done. It's in him. So rest in Christ. What a perfect day for us to Sabbath, to rest in Christ, and to remember that that rest is what we're supposed to do every day. Every day, a resting in Christ. And as Zach always loves to say, it is a restful work. If you are resting in Christ and you know what you'll do, you'll get out and you'll live for Christ. It is a restful work for the Lord. Knowing that you're not working on some hamster wheel to get yourself into heaven. You're working because Christ has brought you salvation, has purchased your faith. And so you live in that faith. So Christian, just take time today to thank the Lord. Give him all praise, all glory, because it's all about him. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for sending the son. Father, so that we might obtain a faith in what he has done and by what he has done in us and for us. So that God, our salvation is not about us at all. And Father, I pray you would shut the door of our hearts to any boasting. I would rather get to heaven and you say, well, you actually did this. Than for me to get to heaven, having proclaimed that I did something that I did not do. And I know that when I get to heaven, you will not say, but you did this. Because you filled your scripture up with saying, you did nothing. And I did everything. So worship me, praise me, live for me. Let your life be a living sacrifice based on all that I've done for you. And Father, I pray this week that that's what our church would be. That we would look at what you've done for us and that we would say, thank you, God. And that we, after saying, thank you, God, would then live for you. That we would put that faith into action as, as that faith will always create an action in response to it. That there will be fruit of our salvation. And that we would rejoice in the fruits that we see. Not rejoicing in us, but rejoicing our salvation is real. Look, look. How do I know? I said, look at what I'm doing. Not because what I'm doing is, is making anything great about me, but because there's no way I'd be doing these things if God hadn't changed my heart. So my salvation must be real because this is not who I was. And yet it's who I am. How? Because we've obtained the faith in the righteousness of our God and Savior and by the righteousness of our God and Savior. So thank you, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.